everyone! Welcome to our new series of training shorts, where we talk to handlers about common challenges and how to navigate your way through them. We'd love to hear from you about topics you'd like to see covered. You can reach us at Facebook at The Working Dog Podcast. Today, we talked with Milt Scott of Airdrie, Alberta. Milt, how's it going? Where are you at and what are you up to? Well, Laura, I'm stuck in Sheridan, Wyoming, on my way to Decatur, Texas for the NCAA catalog finals. Nice. A storm can't get out of here. What, uh, Milt, what dogs do you have with you right now? Um, I have my old dog, Finn, and uh, Josie, and a young dog, Dawn, and another younger dog, Bob. Okay. Well... You're the first person that we're interviewing for our training shorts, and we want to know um, some kind of tips and uh, tricks to, I guess maybe, let me rephrase that. Uh, Like what's what's kind of an overarching issue you see with uh, trainers out there, and maybe um, if you were to give some advice uh, when you're walking into the pen to work a dog, what would it be? Now you, we've talked before about uh, like positive and negative enforcement. Do you want to expand on that? Well, one of the the general things, and we've all been guilty of it, and I've, I've been at this a long time, is that we fall into the rut that the submission increases knowledge, and it, and that and that's an impossibility. What's really important to me when I in the training session is setting it up somewhat in the classroom atmosphere that I'm in complete control um, of all situations and if that means which I interestingly enough I don't use very often hardly ever but if I need to go to a round pen with some type of dog then I will or or whatever I need to do but um, the positive reinforcement versus negative is always always set it up that I, when I'm working a dog, I try to always set it up that, hey, don't do that, but help will try this. But it always comes back to the common denominators, this is how I want my livestock. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, I guess so not always, um, not always scolding, but when, when he does do something wrong, give him another option to go towards instead of kind of getting stuck in his, his choice. Well, I'll give you an example of that. Um, we focus a lot if the dog goes in for a grip. But the point of the grip, what, 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 was, what was the real error of the grip? It's pretty tough for a dog to bite, hang, or drag and still move eight or ten sheep or seven or eight, whatever amount of cattle and hold them all together. So the real problem with your bite is that the bite didn't improve anything. It made it worse. If, if, the bite, if the bite improved the situation, well, then it's no problem. So it isn't whether a dog bites or doesn't bite. It's does he bite to improve things or does he bite and make things worse? Hmm. And, and often, especially um, in the cowboy world, you know, I work, I, I compete on sheep and own sheep. And, but I also, 
know, we have 1,100 cows and feedlot, and, which I don't, you know, as manager, I don't work all the time. But one of the things really is, is, is evident in the, in the cowboy world is they really want a heel bite, which the heel bite would be a nice convenience that you could use the odd time, but all that's ever going to do is chase cattle faster in the direction you're going. Right. And if a dog really prefers a heel bite, he'll always be weaker on the head. It's very difficult to have the same on both. But, but tying it back to what I just said, when the dog, and you're working him, and he just flies in a bite, the real problem is, is that he's, he's fled all your animals. He wasn't holding the line. And, and I should probably touch on that. One of my big things when I'm training is to hold the line and, and, and work your livestock in a controlled, very precise um, manner and holding the line is getting on that heavy side you list a bunch of different terminologies you can call it pressure a whole bunch of things but I'm a real stickler that a dog holds the line and takes the animals in a straight line from point A to B rather than weaving back and forth I find that extremely challenging to get figured out because like you know you without like micromanaging that dog too much and and having them figure out how to balance them animals, you know, on that line. Like, how do you go about, how do you go about doing that, um, you know, throughout the different stages that the dog's at? Well, an interesting thing, I never even thought of it. And I, you know, and I've been fumbling around in dogs for a long time with some success, but Amanda Milliken told me about three or four years ago that your drive away is exactly the same as your fetch. Everything is aligned. And I said, what, what, what do you mean? And she said, just insist that when they're going, that is the direction you're pointing them, and it should be a straight line, not whipping back and forth behind the livestock all the time. And, and as much as it sounds complicated, um, girls, it's, it's actually not. So instead of just circling, 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 the idea of the circle, the only idea of the circle is just to be able to get a dog stopped and break them over on his head break them out when he flies. But, but the circling doesn't last very long. And so I circle a very short period of time. And then I go around that circle and bring them into a sheet. Or then I'll bring them around again to the other side, then back up and bring them onto a fetch. But the fetch and the drives become exactly the same. Well, on the fetch, like they're balancing to you, how do you transition to the drive then? Exact same. I just call them up to me. So they'll do a fetch. When the sheep gets me, I'll just call, them, call the dog, bring the dog around, bring him up to me to speak his name and have him walk beside me, mm-hmm. and then away we go, we start on their drive. And I start driving fairly soon. And how do you correct them when they go off that line without having, like, you're not in a decent position to block them or anything like you might when they're fetching? Well, I will walk with them for a fair bit, mm-hmm. and, and so the one side, if I hold my side, and they try to squirt out the other, so I can block them on the one side. If they try to squirt out the other side, all I have to do is speak their name. Right. Do you use a fence or anything? Ah, uh, no, not always. No, yeah. no, I don't. Not always. Yeah. Um, the fence is okay, and there's really nothing wrong with it, except the fact that it gives them a false pretense that that's the line that they're holding. And you'll see it because they'll get in, and wherever the sheep are bending, they'll they'll get on that heavy side and start marching. Oh yeah. So talking about the problem is the problem is with the fence. The fence method, and I've used it, and I'm not saying I would never use it. The 
problem with any of that type of stuff, if you use it to the extreme, the, on a fence, you, or on a pen, sorry, on a fence, you could end up just teaching them to follow sheep. Right. Or gather. Right. And, and there's a big difference between a follower and a driver. Yeah. 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 So, Milt, talking about a dog that won't pick a straight line, especially when you ask him to fetch, and then they kind of catch up with their sheep or their livestock, and then they have to, they, they're addicted to kind of moving their feet, so they start wiggling back and forth and moving faster than their livestock. How do you go about changing that idea and just slowing their feet down and picking that straight line? Well, a few things. One is, <clears throat> it's almost always in the genetics. is a big part of it. I, uh, I, had, I just trained a dog a few years ago that was some of some older bloodlines. Um, you know, and a lot of the modern dogs are more selected to be line dogs, I think. Anyway, make a long story short, the first dog I've had in a long time, they had no, no line at all, zero. And, and that was difficult. But if I have a dog that is difficult, but he has no line in him, to walk a little bit, I may have to spend a long time walking backwards and just, hey, 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 and just holding them there, right? Mm-hmm. But the best way to really undo a, a line or a wear is if you, if you keep stopping them and trying to flank them into it. You, you'll never flank them into, into field. Yeah. Mm. You can't. Because if you're flanking them into field, the big thing with the flank is you want to override any field and have them move when they're told to move. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Right? So so if you're if you're trying to teach a dog to hold and go in a precise direction, the only way to do that is with less commands and more water language and moving more. Right. And and, and again I'll say a lot of it comes in bloodlines for sure. Right. What about um like when you're first per- oh go ahead. No. Um, what about like, um, like when you're kind of building that or working on that fetch and probably building the outrun a little bit at the same time, how much do you interfere with those dogs at the, at the top? Uh, I don't worry so much about the top. You know, I know there's a theory out there that if they crash, it's like, um, you know, they can, they get pretty wrong at the top head and be partway down the fetch. And, and you fix them from being into the sheep. And, and what I mean by just stepping in them and saying, hey, hey, stop that, stop it, just stop that, mm-hmm. then the, the top will take care of itself. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you'll let them go a little ways, even when they have that, um, when they're still kind of messing up a little bit at the top, you'll still yeah, kind of kick. Um, I'll let a dog get pretty darn wrong before I do anything so right. that it's easy for him to see that he's wrong. Right, and they kind of figure it out on their own rather than you micromanaging that issue and maybe potentially taking some uh, independence out of them, or how does that work? Yeah, well, let me give you an example. You talk about busy feet, and they're coming, they're coming and they're grabbing ears, and, and um, you know, after you've handled a few dogs and been around livestock, if you keep going at that speed, young fella, mm-hmm. those animals are going to be in five different directions because they won't run five together at that speed. Right. 
So once they're split, and all of a sudden, old Melvy is there going, what are you doing? You know, what, what, what? That's a mess. Yeah. And then, no big deal, regather, try her again. So really just letting them fully commit to their mistake before reprehending of them on it. I am absolutely an absolute, absolute stickler on that. Hmm. And I wish that, I wish I was even better at it. Because if you look throughout the history of the dogs and, and say it, Alpertans were, you know, we don't most of them, but how many first dogs, how many people were so in love with their first dog and then had trouble making a second one? And I'm convinced the reason was is because that dog was allowed to make a lot of mistakes. Right. Then when got to enough clinics and realized what a mistake looked like, he was always there stopping the mistakes and taking it out of the dog. Yeah. And from that, when we developed, we got into the we got into some of the general belief that if a dog makes a mistake, pretty soon it's a habit. We were paranoid to ever let him make a mistake. Yeah. And I just, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't go to that school anymore. And if I did, I, I don't know, but I, I sure don't go to that school anymore. Yeah. I think, I think a dog, I think to work livestock improperly is not very difficult to set up, so it's a hell of a lot more work for a dog. So what you're saying, Milt, is that I need to work on, uh, you know, my personality of being a micromanaging control freak in order to get my dogs trained better? Well, I think, and I have no idea if you're a control freak or not, but I can tell you that there is other areas that you can darn sure control, um, and that is, there's virtually no difference between kids and dogs, but just their general mannerism when they're around you. Right. And that means being, you know, Adolf Hitler with them, but it's like, hey, don't be an asshole. Stop being an ass. And then giving them freedom to figure out what that meant, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, Milt. We're oh, go ahead. Sorry. Like there is some things, um, and, and it, it also when you're asking that question, or it depends on what level the dog's at. Right. You know, um, you you know, you're a real horse lady, and how many people do you see start riding their two year olds as though they're in the full bridle? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and why would the dog be any different? They're a year and a half old and people are thinking that if he runs in and, and makes a mess of something that it's a complete disaster. Well, not really. Yeah. If he young, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's right. And you do like I it is the same with horses and dogs where you have to let them make those mistakes. Um in order for them to learn or you're just you're gonna have a nervous wreck on your hands too. Right. So yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, Milt, we're uh, we were shooting for about 10, 15 minute training short, and uh, it was some awesome information. And we'll probably hit you up again one day for an interview on this or the long form one. So we'll look forward to that. And good luck down there. Hopefully, you get out of that snowstorm. Well, if I make it. If I don't, I don't know. But I might be coming back to Alberta. Well, that would suck. Yeah, you're in Wyoming. That's not a bad place. Okay. Thanks, Mel. All right, have a good rest of your trip. Bye. Bye.